The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes, as always, talking about gambling addiction and uh, folks like myself who fell prey to it. Happy to have joining us now a fellow gambler in recovery, Billy down in Virginia, joining us this morning. Billy, good morning, and thank you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story. Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. So when was the last time you made a wager? February 5th, 2001. Wow, so two decades uh, without betting at all, and I imagine uh, you have a pretty good story to tell 20 years later. But if you don't mind, let's go all the way back in time to when, you know, you did kind of fall prey, as I mentioned, to gambling addiction. Starting off with, um, what part of the country did you grow up in, and when were you first exposed to gambling as a kid, if you were? Okay. I've always considered myself kind of a northern southerner. I I grew up in Virginia. Mm -hmm. I'm German-Italian. The family, the side of the family that I know is from Brooklyn, New York. So as a kid growing up in the 70s, I would go, you know, for two months every summer to Brooklyn and hang out and do that. As far as the um, exposure to gambling, you know, in a big Italian family, um, you're going to play things like Pacino. You know, you're going to play Rummy 500, Flip Coins, things like that. Um, Grandmother that played bingo all the time. Um, Father who played bingo, mother who played bingo. Yeah, so so I was exposed in that way when I was a kid. Right, so it's weird, like, not the so-called traditional sports wagering, Friday night poker, but gambling nonetheless. So you gambling, although you may not have known it was gambling at the time, you're talking about your church bingo and things like that, was kind of normalized for you growing up. It wasn't a big deal. Relatives did a big, no, no, no big thing, right? But yeah, it's something to look forward to, you know, when you get older. And, and I was competitive, you know, so... So I loved it. When did you uh, start betting yourself? Um, I started making like small bets with friends, you know, around 10 years old, you know, that, you, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, I can remember, you know, betting on Atari games even. Um, <laughs> my so God. When, I didn't say hey, <laughs> hey, hey, man, when Madden came out, oh, my goodness. Lord have mercy. It's funny. I've it. told this story and I even wrote about it in the book I wrote that when Intellivision came out, uh, which was like the first major upgrade of, of gaming systems back in the early 80s, it came with a casino game built into it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wound up, uh, you know, it, it was craps and blackjack, if I remember correctly, and it may have been a poker game in there as well. And I remember I basically ran a neighborhood casino you know, as a kid, like no joke, like nine <laughs> years old, 10 years old. I got neighborhood kids coming to my house. I'm the house. And they'd be playing television, you know, craps or, you know, blackjack. And I quite famously told the story that at one point a kid lost his bike to me. And the kid's <laughs> dad comes to our house, knocks on the door. Now, my dad, A, is not a gambler. B, he was a bit of a tough guy and had no idea what I was doing. He was at work, you know, when I was home after school playing games. And a guy mm-hmm. knocks on the front door and politely asks for his son's bicycle back. And my dad goes, we ain't got your bike. I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, no, you probably don't know what's going on, but my son lost it to your son in a game of blackjack. And uh, you may you may have figured out the beating I got after that, but lo and behold, <laughs> that bicycle was in my backyard. 
<laughs> so anyhow, so all right, so you start playing as a kid. Um, and then when you look back on your life with the clarity you have now, when can you kind of envision in your lifetime gambling becoming more than just like uh, every now and then recreational thing? Well, I, I absolutely know when it happened. Um, so uh, it, there were some drugs and alcohol first, you know, like 13, 14, 15 with some gambling. But then by mid-teens, I was gambling, you know, on a regular basis. And uh, you might not know this about me, Craig, but I aspire to do, you know, what you ended up doing. And I was, you know, I was in radio from the time I was 15 until I was 37 years oh, old. Wow. Hey, what, what market um, were you down in Virginia? Yeah, I was in the Roanoke market. Okay. And then, and then uh, when I had the morning show at the very end, but uh, it was the end of my gambling and then kind of the beginning of my recovery, I had a morning show in Richmond, Virginia. Got it. Um, yeah. And so uh, I'd say around 15 years old because I, I, I was able to get in with a lot of the local yokels, you know, I would call them, you know, and mm -hmm. I was one of them. People right. inviting me to back rooms, uh, inviting me to card rooms, you know. Um, and, and when I say back rooms, I'm talking about, uh, and it, you know, not only card games, but, you know, they have the illegal machines, right. um, pinball machines, and, and you know, uh, electronic machines, that kind of thing. Right, right. You're, so now all of a sudden you're a teenager. You've got access to this. It's probably pretty cool or feels cool hanging out with older guys. You own wagering because there's going to be some wins with the losses for sure. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, you know, it's funny, you know, for a lot of the young guys that we talk to on this show, you know, they, they make a decision much earlier than I ever did because I didn't go down the bad road to well later in life. But it's like it's that lifestyle for a teenager, even a kid in their young 20s represents, you know, something that seems really cool and hip to them that they go down that path right away. Oh yeah, did Craig. You, did... I was going to be a rock star, man. Right, right. And and the gambling helped with that. Um, and I, I mean, there's a lot of emotional stuff that that I didn't know was going on at the time from when I you know grew up with tumultuous family life and all this other stuff. You know that I was kind of uh, uh, the the radio certainly helped with that and then the gambling helped with that as well you know uh grandiosity that kind of stuff yeah well look if you're a 16 17 18 whatever year old kid and the average kids you know worried about his sats and applying to college and you know the parents are on top of them and you're living this other kind of alternative life where you have access to girls and drugs and money and booze and no one's telling you to be home at five o'clock you know it's understandable for that to be intoxicating for a kid Oh, big time. And it was. And my teachers were letting me sleep in school because they knew what Billy did at three o'clock was go to that radio station and everybody in town listened and that kind of stuff. Right. And, and so and so I got away with stuff. Yeah. And you and I both know that when you're in a position and you, uh, where you can get away with things and you're a compulsive gambler, that is not good. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it could be a deadly combination, actually, because, you know, you could because people will because people look at you differently. People, oh, you're famous, you're a celebrity, you're a public figure. You know, you're given a lot more leeway and rope than the average person would ever be given for a lot of reasons. None of them are good, of course, but for a lot of reasons. And then you could do two things also. You can hide in plain sight because I know while everybody knew I gambled, no one knew the extent of my gambling 
from a perspective of how much money I was gambling or the frequency with which I gambled, right? And mm-hmm. then, I, like, I, I don't know if I've told this story before or not, but so there's a famous restaurant here in New York City. It's called the Lambs Club. It's in Midtown. And it's, you know, they celebrity chef the whole bit, right? And I mm-hmm. was having a, a, a lunch in there once. I had, for a time in my life, I had what's called a holding deal from the network that used to be known as Spike Network. It's now Paramount, okay? okay. And a holding deal just meant that they wrote me a check. And for a specific period of time, three months, six months, a year, whatever it was, uh, they had my rights to video. So they wrote me a six-figure check, and they had my exclusive first-look rights to anything I was going to do, assuming I was going to branch out to do TV beyond radio. Now, I was well-known in gambling circles as a guy who had a lot of money to gamble with, was willing to gamble seven days a week, 365, and was always looking for another opportunity. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting at a lunch meeting with two of the biggest executives for the Spike Network, one of them being the president of the network. He's the guy that wrote me to check, okay? Okay. And I'm not going to say who it is, but a person comes up to me at the lunch, introduces himself, fan of my work, fan of my show, has no interest at all or care or concern with the two other gentlemen who were at my lunch. It didn't matter who they were. They could have been cops, FBI, you know, politicians, bus drivers. Didn't matter them, right? And the guy says, I understand you like to play cards. I've got a game for you. And the game is somewhere on the property of the restaurant, okay? okay. Obviously not in the restaurant, but it's, it's a New York City building, so obviously there's many floors there. And literally says right in front of these guys who have no idea that I gamble the level I gamble. Hey, it's 25K to walk in the door. I'm sure you're good with that. Here's my number. Anytime you want to play, there's a game five nights a week. And obviously Uh-oh. I wanted to play in that game, although I'm not a Hold'em guy because I find Texas Hold'em incredibly boring. And while I'm very good at it, I don't like playing it. And I'm sitting there like the guy walks away from the table and now I have to have a conversation with these two executives about, A, why would that guy approach you? B, why would he assume that 25K to walk in the door is not a big, big deal? And I always found, like, my lives, I was kind of living multiple lives at once. And there was a small number of times like that time where the lives kind of intersected and created what could have been a very tough moment for me. Oh, my goodness, man. Yeah. Oh. So, all right, so you're on radio, you're a teenage kid, you're gambling, you're drinking, you're doing drugs, and then at some point it becomes a problem for you. Uh, walk me through kind of how old you were when looking back on it, you recognize that you know, gambling specifically, as opposed to drugs and alcohol, became a problem for you. Yeah, the, um, uh, once the gambling really was full force, I would say I was probably about 18 um, when it when it took off and then the next 12 years um it was that now in that time there would be an occasional like cocaine binge i you know maybe three or four times in my 20s mm-hmm. but i was gung-ho gambling all the time and you know i'll often tell people that the only reason that i didn't keep a, a drug and an alcohol kind of addiction was that gambling saved me from that because it wasn't that i didn't want to drink or do drugs I didn't want to spend the money on anything other than the gambling. I needed right. the money to gamble, you know. And the other problem was, I mean, you're talking about, what, what is it, uh, 80, 89, 90, 91, and, you know, up through, you know, 2001 that I gambled. 
So uh, in Virginia, uh, it, that meant like if I wanted to go go to a casino, I had to drive all the way up 81 to Atlantic City. Right. You know, which I would do on a whim, by the way. You know, I'm if, sure. If, if, so that's interesting yeah. to me that you actually you prioritized vices. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you valued gambling for whatever the reason is above drugs and alcohol. Like gambling I don't want for a DUI when I'm driving that far. No, I don't want any of that. I want so gambling, but let me, so ga- the escape of gambling fulfilled you in a manner that drugs and alcohol didn't. Or I would ask the question: Did it fulfill you for longer periods of time than your experiences with drugs and alcohol did? Maybe that's what it was. Well, I, I maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, and I, I was so obsessed with it, Craig. Like, like walk me through um, that. Describe the obsession with gambling. Okay, so from the the entire time that I gambled, I would always have kind of a primary thing. So let's say poker is primary, but then down below, you know, I've got lottery tickets. I might go play bingo. I might play king, uh, you know, kino, slot machines, whatever, horses. And then horses would kind of come to the top. And then the other things would be, you know, secondary. And and that went on, you know, the the, the whole time that I I gambled. But I, you know, um, I can remember... Um, you know, reading, uh, you know, how to be a better card player and, and different things. Spent a lot of research time in, in, in quotation marks. I did right. the imaginary right. ones here. Yeah, split eggs, um, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, it, I, I was just obsessed, you know, um, uh, which led to, you know, plenty of relationship problems. Um, the, the only thing that I managed to continue to do was my job uh, because I, I kind of got off on that too, you know? Let me stop you right there. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll continue on. This is Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Billy from Virginia joins us. He, like myself, a gambler in recovery more than two decades now without making a wager of any kind. Billy, when we left you there, we were getting into kind of the nuts and bolts of how you process gambling and the, the amounts you played and how it became your focus. Yeah, obviously, you're on the radio in Virginia. You're not making a boatload of money. How did no. you fund your gambling? Uh, okay, so definitely all of the paychecks, you know, um, any anywhere I could get a loan. And I also had some shady people that would give me money. Right. Um, some just business people that would, you know, often say things like, well, we know where to find you kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and they just kind of laugh off me asking them for money. Um, so uh, there was a lot of that that went on. Uh, I can tell you by the time I was 30 years old, which was I, I, I turned 30 January 2nd, uh, uh, 2001, um, right before I quit gambling. But by that time, I had been married and divorced twice two United States bankruptcies and a repossession uh, all to gambling. So uh, let me stop you there. What a lot of people don't understand, and listen, I'm quite publicly filed bankruptcy as well, and there's a financial ruin that can, not always, but can come along, you know, with, uh, you know, compulsive gambling. You went through it twice. Mm -hmm. So I think people need to hear that because you're a smart guy you knew the root cause of your financial problems is obviously the gambling. 
and wagering beyond your means and what you can afford to lose. And yet even going through bankruptcy, going through the heartache of divorce, you you didn't stop. And you basically, you know, kind of relive both of those aspects of your life by getting divorced and and uh, filing for bankruptcy. When you look back on it, that, that there had to be a crazy time in your life when divorce and bankruptcy wasn't the pivotal moment that allowed you to go get help because you continued to do it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Both times, really, the bankruptcies all they meant to me was uh, I'm I'm free to go gamble right. more. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. Which, which is the danger of a bailout for any compulsive gambler is, you know, we we put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound and off to the races we go. Um, now, I will say what ended up doing the recovery thing, getting the recovery thing happening was my girlfriend at the time uh, went on a trip to Belize. And for whatever reason, the last year of my gambling I, I probably won more that year than I lost. I mean, okay. in, in, in big ways, horses were at the top of the food chain there, and I was just killing it at the OTB, okay? Um, so when I started that relationship, there weren't a lot of the big problems that would come up from gambling. She didn't even know I gambled. I was winning right. most of the time. I wasn't broke, okay? She and her mother, about eight months into that relationship, go to Belize, and by this time, I'm losing all the money. Um, and I got ready to go into her bank account and drain it while she was gone. And my plan was going to be Dover Downs and then probably up to Atlantic City after that. And for whatever reason, I, I, I remember this like it happened yesterday. I was in the driveway getting ready to do this, and something came over me that said, Billy, you know, you know, you're you're a piece of crap. You're always going to be this. This gambling has nothing to do with the women that you are with. This is the rest of your life. Hmm. And that, for whatever reason, Craig, scared me enough. I felt like maybe a nervous breakdown. Probably I hadn't even dealt with my second So let me, get, let me just make sure I understand. So most people that we have on the show, myself included, there's a bottom of the barrel moment. It could be arrest, public humiliation, being caught by a spouse or friend, you know, whatever it might be, a million things that ultimately lead to someone now crying out for help. For mm -hmm. you, it was the thought of, I'm going to go do something that I know is wrong, steal money from my girlfriend and her family. And that was your bottom of the barrel moment? Was was it associated with a huge loss, a terrible moment, uh, a thought of not waking up the next day, any of that or no? Um, well, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there was a, a, a lot of loss. You know, I, I was completely broke at that moment. Got it. Um, and, and, and the other piece was I had not dealt with the ending of my second marriage, really. You know, and, and I think somehow this clicked something that made me feel like I can't go on like this. You know, I, I, I felt like it wasn't worth living. I went inside and called the hotline. You did. I did, yeah. So had you thought out like what you were going to do or you just had this emotional feeling of I'm going to hurt myself or potentially hurt myself, I better reach out and get some help because I'm in a bad place? Um, now, I, at, at that moment, I, I, 
I felt like I didn't need to be here. I was not thinking of killing myself in that moment. I've lived the same thing. I've told people, yeah, I was going to jump off a chairlift, no joke, in British Columbia, but, you know, and in the summertime, but I didn't, I, I never felt like I wanted to die. I felt like I needed an out from my issues. And it seemed logical at the time, although obviously it wasn't. Well, just jump off the chairlift. That'll take care of your problems. So I, I relate yeah. to that. Yeah, and and, and 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 it was a gambling hotline that I called. Got it. Okay. Um, and 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 they set me up with people Wait, so me, in the area. I'm sorry to interrupt you. So two marriages fail. Girlfriends in Belize with her mom. You're contemplating taking all the money. You have this kind of come to Jesus moment with yourself sitting in a car in the driveway, and at that moment, for no other reason, you decide after 20 years of living this lifestyle, which is not obviously sustainable, okay, I don't want to be that guy or the guy I am anymore. You walked inside and picked up the phone? Yes, I did. And now I'm here to tell you I didn't know what kind of guy I wanted to be. I mean – I didn't even know who I was. You, sure. you, you know what sure. I'm saying? I, I do. I had been I had been doing this this stuff for since I was a kid, you know, and and I was coming off of childhood stuff that wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. So, um re- recovery is what kind of taught me, you know, who I am. And did it take right away? Did you shop GA rooms? Did you legitimately cold turkey? That's the last day you gambled and from that point on you were clean, or was there a moment even after going to that first meeting or picking up the phone that you said, well, let me just give it another shot? So it, there, there, there was, I think, one or two GA meetings a long time before that, you know, that I popped sure. into just to, just to make people happy. Um, but when I went into that GA room that very night, I asked for a sponsor, and I I didn't realize how fortunate I was that night, but I got a tall, red-headed, rednecky, mean, uh, not always mean, firm and loving um, mm-hmm. sponsor. And, and this guy told me how it was going to be because what I tried to do is what I had always done. When I met him, I threw the radio guy on him right sure. away. Of I course. said, well, you know, I got a morning show in town and I get off at nine and, and, and I can call you then. He's like, let me tell you what that means. Billy's not going to call me at 9.05. Billy's not going to call me at 8.55. Billy's going to call me at 9 a.m. He gave me his number and left. Yeah, I would say I I hated GA rooms until I realized the importance of them and the lived experience that you get from other men and women that are in those rooms. Mm -hmm. I went to probably half a dozen different ones until I found one that I was comfortable in. And I found some solace in that room. And now that I, like you, try to help younger people out and other people who are now dealing with uh, this crisis of gambling addiction and compulsive gambling, I have such a great amount of respect for the men and women that try to be there for me, even when I didn't want to listen mm-hmm. to what they said, until I found the right room and was willing to open up and acknowledge you know, my deficiencies as a person and take stock of of my own behavior as opposed to you're lying about it or blaming me on other things. So I, I, I totally relate to what you're saying. And, you know, you meet a guy that's probably a little nerve wracking and he looks like a tough guy and he can't possibly understand me, but people in these GA rooms, I'm sure like any type of addiction or recovery group, you know, have lived it 
And it's what I say to kids that I talk about you know, to today. Look, this only works if, you, if you're honest with me and you can't BS me because everything you did, I did it times 10. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I find that that honesty you know, resonates. You can't save everybody, but you can yeah. certainly be open and let people know what the process is like. And I think it's great that you do that. You know, I, I'm interested in one other thing because I, I've said a lot on this show that while, you know, I've gone over five years now without gambling, and mm-hmm. obviously I'm very proud of that. When people ask me, well, why did you stop? You know, because I, I went to rehab and went to a casino the day I got home from rehab. Uh, mm-hmm. Pure ego. I wanted to test myself. And, you know, I left a bunch of money in my car, went and played blackjack with the promise that if I lost the money inside, I wouldn't go back to my car to get the money. I purposely left there. I was giving myself a test. And obviously mm-hmm. I failed. I failed the test miserably. I lost <laughs> the money in the casino. I took the money from the car. I lost that money, too. And no joke, that's the last day I ever wagered. It's the last time I ever played blackjack or bet on anything. And what I, I still don't understand about myself mm-hmm. is I knew for years that I was gambling in an unhealthy manner. I knew I was gambling unhealthy amounts of money, that I was borrowing money from bad people. All, all, all the stereotypical crap, right? Right. But I, to this day, I don't understand why I stopped when I stopped. And I wonder if you've ever reconciled that in your life. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like through a, a lot of the, you know, therapy and the step work that I've, I've done, I, I was at the end of my rope in terms of my ability to continue to live that way. You know, um, and, and you know what? When I started listening to what people had to say and started putting it in practice, I was getting results from that. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, I do. and and not just I'm not gambling, but I'm also, you know, I I'm a, a nicer person. I'm not as, you know, egotistical. I'm not as narcissistic. I'm um you know, people want to hang out with me. You know, I, I'm getting results but you know, people aren't calling asking to speak to William Henry Hoffman the third, which was never a good thing. Um because I owe the money. <laughs> right. I got you. So let me ask this before I let you go. And obviously we could talk for another hour easy. But before I let you go, I, I like to end it on a positive note. There are tons of people listening to this right now that are either in the weeds or have a loved one that, you know, is at step one of this whole recovery thing. Or maybe they haven't even acknowledged that they have a problem yet. But there's someone listening right now who knows they've got a family member, a friend that does have a problem. 20 years later, is it fair to say that you have a life filled with great things and a life worth living and you have gotten past your financial problems, relationship issues, et cetera, and life is really good. And if so, if you don't mind sharing that part of your story with people that kind of feel the walls are caving in and can't possibly fathom living a without gambling and be living an amazing, positive, fruitful life, having conquered whatever the demons were that led them down such a bad path. What, what I would say to that person is, uh, for me, every single thing that I that I see in my life today, every single thing, is a direct result of my recovery from gambling addiction. I have three children, 30, 18, and 16, all girls. They want to talk to me. They've had relationships with me, okay? Um, I have a wife who loves me. I have a home. I'm not freaking out about bills all the time. I'm not 
terribly rich, uh, but, you know, I have money in the bank. Uh, I'm not sweating uh, a flat tire. Um, those types of things. Emotionally, I feel, you know, more content. I feel free. Um, I'm not impatient anymore. I can sit still today, which is very hard for anybody that's actively gambling to understand because, you know, our minds are going 10 million times a sure. minute. Um, well, I think yeah, the, but, biggest but, thing, the biggest thing for you now is that you're present. I am present. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't believe things are the end of the world anymore. You know, there's, we, we can always work through whatever comes up, and we've had plenty come up in recovery. You know, just because you're in recovery doesn't mean that, that life is just smooth sailing all the time. The difference is your ability to treat it as an adult rather than the little boy or girl that you were, where your growth, your emotional growth had been stunted through being in this addiction for so long. Uh, you, you know, you kind of grow up. The more you work on yourself, that's, I, that's been I, my that's been my experience. I agree a hundred percent, and I can speak to it since I'm in it. That life is so much easier and better. Doesn't mean there aren't issues. There are. You don't fix everything overnight, but everything is fixable over time. And I can tell you that the amount of free brain space I have that I enjoy having right now is life changing for the better. Well, Billy, I appreciate your time, pal. Well, we'll do this again for sure. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. I think we need to continue to humanize addicts like me and like you so people understand that there are regular, average, everyday people out there suffering. And if we just show a little compassion, we might be able to help change their lives in a better direction. Thanks so much for joining us. Craig, I, I, I appreciate you taking you know your position and all of that stuff and, and using it for good. Thank you, man. Be well. Take care. Take care. That's Billy in Virginia. Really appreciate him joining us. And hopefully... Those of you listening, take something out of it. If you do have someone in your life or it's you yourself, recognize there is help out there and you can figure out your issues and obviously get yourself into a good recovery program and have a life worth living. We have about three more shows left this year. And then, believe it or not, we will be into year number four of Hello, My Name is Craig. Appreciate you all very, very much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Joe Beningo is up next. And then back to regularly scheduled programming Monday morning at 6, right here on WFAN.